Thank you so much to Precision Fuel and Hydration for sponsoring today's episode. Amazing company that makes amazing products. I have been testing out anything from their chews, which are my favorite, or their carb-only mix, or different kinds of carb mixes that include the uh, different levels of sodium that you may need to keep your electrolytes in balance. Check them out. You can go to uh, pfnh.com forward slash stupid questions and you can get 15% off any of their stuff there they also have an amazing tool that gives athletes a personalized plan for their next race which provides a lot of great uh, basis for you to iterate and refine your strategy come race day you can make yours at precisionhydration.com slash planner that's forward slash planner and uh, yeah so if you want to get an awesome discount with some awesome products, make sure to check it out. That's at pfnh.com forward slash stupid questions. You can also find this stuff in the show notes. How's it going, everybody? And welcome to this next edition of the Stupid Questions podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with none other than Eric Lagerstrom from TTL Nash from That Triathlon Life. Um, get to talk a little bit of Eric and just his creative process um, how he got started in the sport, how he got started being so creative, uh, what drives him, and a lot of other neat topics, even including how he recently got engaged to Paula Finley. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Eric Lagerstrom. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Super awesome to have you on. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. The second thing, um, the how I kind of like to get started typically with people who are on is to ask them a question a little bit in the third person. And that question is, who is Eric? Oh, wow. So I'm going to like do my own uh, walkout intro here. Yeah. Um, Eric is a <clears throat> lifelong triathlete, uh, professional triathlete for the last 10 years, founder of That Triathlon Life, along with Paula Finley, and mm -hmm. on a mission to make triathlon awesome and fun and bring new people into it. That's beautiful. So, but who is Eric outside of triathlon? If we had to give Eric some values or an understand like who he is outside of what he does. Mm, an emotional, creative, uh, obsessive personality. Mm. Trying to, uh, trying to just get the most out of life and yeah. um, live a flexible life that uh, allows him to build new cool things that didn't exist before yeah for sure have you always had that kind of i hesitate to use the word inventor but i guess we could say inventor entrepreneurial spirit creator vibe about you uh yeah i can definitely remember as a kid i had a, a radio flyer wagon um real old school and we lived on a cul-de-sac and i that wagon was a spaceship a race car a covered wagon <laughs> It, everything under the sun and I was constantly coming up with new games and ideas and sidewalk chalk you know um my parents definitely like kicked me out the door when the sun rose and had to call me over and over when the sun was going down so always out doing stuff yeah for sure you have siblings yeah I have a younger sister nice where does she fit into your world these days well these days uh we don't cross paths that often we used to live together up until a few years ago when Paul and I moved to Bend. Uh, but she is now an ultra runner. You, I, I don't think you can technically say she's a professional ultra runner, but she's very competitive uh, and uh, raced Western States last year. And I'm 
I'm super proud of who she has become as an adult. Yeah, that's awesome. So who do you think you take more after, your mom or your dad? Mm, probably maybe like 60-40, dad to mom. Yeah. I say I'm a pretty good blend. Uh, my dad's extremely logical guy, uh, very handy, you know, can fix anything, has remodeled every house in the house, and he has remodeled every room in the house that I grew up in. Wow. And that was, uh, you know, that's inspiring to me, I guess. And I really, he like gave me an appreciation for being self-sufficient and learning to do things. Um, and, but my mom is, is definitely very creative. She does a lot of crafts and, um, is a very, very kind person. And I, I'd like to think I'm a, a good blend of the, both of them. Yeah, for sure. When you guys were growing up, um, you said you had this radio flyer wagon. I it sounds like you spent a lot of time outside as a kid. Is that accurate? Yeah, totally. Uh, we when we were in Cabo racing a couple of days ago, uh, and Paula, Nick, and I, um, who you've had on the podcast, Nick, uh, yeah. we were kind of all just talking about like at what point in time do you give a kid an iPad, and like when did we get anything electronic and stuff? And mm-hmm. I think I got my first electronic device was a Game Boy color when i was oh, like yeah. 13 years old or something yeah. like that and up till then we got to watch an hour of cartoons on saturday but other than that we were there was no screens we were outside you know making up games yeah. i mean with the other neighborhood kids and stuff so uh going camping in the summer times and yeah. um man very appreciative for that and should i have a kid that's definitely going to be my goal is to um you know you got i think the takeaway from that conversation was you got you need to be able to be bored yeah. to you know build the skill to entertain yourself and let creativity come in mm. um otherwise it's just you're just constantly just t- okay. digesting and never creating or having any true thoughts yeah no yeah for sure i remember being a kid uh we we also played a lot outdoors and my buddy where i used to hang at his house a lot the neighbor kid they had like this bamboo forest and oh, nice so we, it was always a fort. And in my mind, I was like, this thing's going to have walls and ceilings. We're going to make toilets. We're going to have sinks, you know. And Never then you get 10 minutes into it. And I'm like, man, this is just not going how I planned. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever experience anything like that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe my imagination was good enough that I, uh, the things were as good in my imagination, you know, and somebody else could be looking at it. And like, this kid's just walking around in a square of dirt. But yeah. in my mind, you know, it was something completely different and yeah. just wait till tomorrow and I'll have it, you know, I'll have some walls going. Yeah, for sure. So what were you like as a kid? I mean, obviously you spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, were you more attached to your mom? Were you more attached to your dad? Were you fearless? What were you like? Hmm. I was definitely attached to my parents. That's for sure. I, um, I went to college in Portland. I didn't really want to go that far away from home. Uh, my yeah. parents very much were, uh, like, you know, I don't want to say my best friends cause I definitely had a best friend and, and stuff, but they were, yeah. oh, I had a very, very close relationship with them. And yeah. I was, you know, I got dropped off at daycare at a church, you know, like whatever, six years old and cried so long that my mom had to come back and get me, you know, I was, mm. I was like, I was pretty attached. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I, you know, I wanted to go to the end of the block on my bike and try new things and explore and, and stuff. But I certainly never felt like, oh, I need to get away from my parents. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you mentioned uh, this end of the block and the cul-de-sac a couple of times. And in a video you recently created called Aerobic Meets Creative, you had a line where you said mm. uh, your parents let you, and I quote, ride all the way by, uh, by all by yourself to the end of the cul-de-sac. And it like opened your world. That sounds mm -hmm. like a pivotal moment in your life. Would you care to unpack that a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. I guess like, uh, for me, that cul-de-sac was my entire life and I was very happy with it. it. It seemed huge. You know, if I go back now, it's not nearly as big as it was in my mind, Yeah. but there were, you know, all kids on the cul-de-sac and yeah, we all had bikes and one kid had a pool and, uh, that, that was the entire world. But <clears throat> when started being allowed to walk to school or go past the end of the cul-de-sac or whatever, it, I don't know. That that was just, yeah, I, I get a moment of there's so much more out here. And yeah. as much as I love where I came from and what I got going on over here, man, I just want to go see what's out there. Yeah. Do you remember how old you were when that happened? No, no. I have, uh, I, you know, I've never been good with dates. I did yeah. AP calculus and AP history in high school. And, uh, I just barely, barely passed the AP history test because <clears throat> I was super good with yeah. themes and like i can tell you why benjamin franklin did this and how that ties into the war <laughs> and the thing but then it would be like what year did the war start was it 1940 or 1943 and i'm like i have absolutely no idea yeah <laughs> i know it was in the 40s and i can tell you why it started but <laughs> yeah specifics well, are tough well that that um that leads me to the obvious next question do you remember the date you got engaged to paula yeah <laughs> Mm, no, I guess I didn't really make a note of the specific day, but it was the day that we were about to leave Canmore yes. uh, and drive back home. I was pretty much out of time, but I knew I'd, for the last couple of years I'd wanted to do it either oh. in Bend um, at a specific location or uh, I had a specific location in mind in Canmore. And I just kind of like yeah. finally saw that window closing. I'm like, you know, this I'm, I'm not going to go with my top location here, but I'm going to go with my second location. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know the exact date. I write these things in my phone these yeah. these days. I write important dates in the phone, and then yeah. just knowing that I'm gonna, you know, confuse my sister's birthday with the day that I got engaged with the day that you know, uh, yeah, that next race is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, I want to go back a little bit um, further back in time to like when you first started getting into sports. Like, what was I guess when did that become sort of an addiction or something that you just like were yearning after and you wanted? more of oh i was pretty competitive um just you know with the cul-de-sac games and yeah. stuff um and then I, my parents i'm sure started putting me into sports just because i was wildly hyper yeah. kid with a ton of energy and they didn't want to um you know put me on any sort of medication or you know like try to stunt that in an unnatural way so yeah uh i did a lot of, of soccer growing up i did uh one I did like half. I can't even remember if I even finished my season of T-ball. I thought it was so incredibly boring. Really? Couldn't believe that I, you know, got to hit the ball once every like 15 minutes, had to wait my turn, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. So soccer was a lot better. And I think yeah. for my, from my parents' perspective, a lot better uh, bang for the buck in terms yeah. of hours and energy burnt. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I was always into bikes and like the wagon and skateboards, like anything with wheels that would go faster. I was all about yeah uh the swimming which was kind of like the gateway to my triathlon career uh came about because my dad got a boat um okay 
with the idea of fishing and then also doing some water skiing and stuff on the Columbia River near our house. And my mom didn't want us to drown, so we got put in swim lessons and one thing led to another. And yeah. Yeah. Got into swim team. Yeah, that's crazy. How old were you when you started that? I guess you probably won't remember. I think I was six. <laughs> six? Okay. I think I did like pre-comp swim yeah. classes when I was six or so. And maybe, uh, I, I think I remember competing as an eight and under yeah, um, really? swimmer. So it's probably somewhere around seven. I was like on swim team. Yeah. Where, where did you say you grew up again? Did I forget if I asked that? Uh, it's called Gresham, Oregon. It's out. Gresham. It's a suburb okay. of Portland. Okay. I don't know why I had it in my mind that you were Canadian. I guess... I guess All is Canadian. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I like to think that, you know, Oregonians, Washington people in the Pacific Northwest are pretty close to Canadians in terms yeah. of we, we talk slower and we're pretty nice. And, yeah. 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 Tell me about the etymology, if that's the right word, of your last name and how you would pronounce it in, in the mother tongue. <laughs> uh, Lagerstrom. <laughs> okay. Um, it's uh, Swedish. Um, I... What is it? Great, great, great. Might be one more great. Uh, grandparents came over, um, landed in New York City, uh, and then moved to Kansas. Yeah. And I think when they landed, they, they took the unlots out of their name, which are the two little dots over the O. I put that back in on my Strava account just for yeah, fun. Yeah, I was going to say, I've actually used it before when I've written <laughs> your name a few times because it's fun for whatever mm -hmm. reason. It's, it's very fun. Uh, but I think that's one of those things that got... Uh, you know, lost in translation when they were writing everybody's names down on yeah. the charters or whatever. Uh, and then uh, at some point in time, part of my family started uh, heading further west. And so uh, I was born in Salt Lake City. That's where my parents grew up. Okay. And then my aunt moved from Salt Lake City to um, Portland. And I think she was there for 15 years or something before my parents had visited enough and really wanted to move to Oregon and yeah. and leave Utah as well. Uh so yeah, that's my whole ham family history. Yeah, no, that's super sweet. I, I wish I could track mine back that far. It's always neat to hear when people can track it back to, can you go actually, do you have it deep <laughs> enough where you can go back to Sweden and mm -hmm. look even further back? Oh, dude, that's so cool. My dad is is super into it. So he knows okay. all about like the relatives the, up the chain and he's got a book that's like the the diary of two different families There's actually the Lagerstrom's and then I can't remember what the other one is that came over at the same time and it kind of like documents oh, a little really? bit of their experience and everything. So he's, he's all about that. And yeah. I will at some point in time dive into that, but yeah, uh, I don't have it memorized. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. Do you, um, it, it Lagerstrom, does that have a meaning or is it just a last name? I, I think I was told it was like smokehouse by the water, but, okay. uh, Smoking yeah, lager meats, obviously has some like beer ties. Yeah. So that I was told that I think, you know, 20 years ago. But. Nice. Yeah. Cool, man. So there's so many things that I would like to cover, but um, I think that it would probably be most interesting to hear it from like your perspective. So take me back. I guess the good starting point would be you start to get into this thing called triathlon. And then obviously you're a creative person. So I know that all of these things are probably coming in and weaving in over time. What was that process from professional triathlete, transition four, whatever preceded that, TTL. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Oh, you're good. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, through a lot of self-reflection and everything, I've realized that I don't really fit the mold for, like, the typical world-class professional triathlete 
brain chemistry. I'm yeah. much more fit into the artist, creative type person, uh, brain chemistry. And I did, I think that I am, have been in triathlon so long because it, it ultimately like your, your body is sort of the, uh, the canvas essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and I was able to build myself into something, you know, it, be growing that be getting better and better as a person the mm -hmm. whole time. And, and it feels like an ongoing story that I'm sort of, you know, like half narrating in my mind and hoping it's going to go a certain way. Sure. Um, and it's, and I, I think that's kind of what led me to start using social media and, and video and, and photo and stuff more is that I kind of like had this dialogue going in my head of like my journey and everything. And it just felt natural to try to capture it in some way. And, yeah. and it also is very helpful with just like processing personally, like, like having a journal. So like me wanting to do video specifically though, kind of comes down to like the sports that I was really interested in growing up, which were snowboarding and wakeboarding and skateboarding and BMX. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really into action sports and it just you know, like so turned out that I was good at aerobic sports. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I still to this day, I like I watch surf films and I watch mountain bike films and stuff to get excited yeah. just because there's you know, like not knocking on anybody, but there's nothing really in the triathlon space visually yeah. and storytelling wise that gets me that excited. Um, and that sort of, you know, mindset is what ultimately caused me to start doing videos about triathlon in the first place is I thought, yep. you know what, I see the stuff that I really like in other sports and has this certain feel and it makes me feel a certain way. And I want to, if possible, bring that into the sport where I have a little bit of re relevancy and, um, and just, and just share that because I love the sport of triathlon and I love, yeah. you know, like what I said about you being the project, but it doesn't have any of this sort of culture around it. Uh, that I was used to in the surf, skate, snow, yeah, you know, scene. So as you, and I'll come back to a little bit of formulation in a second, but like from that point in time when you were like, oh, there's a lack here, and now it's definitely becoming more of a prevalent thing, I think that there's obviously still a lot more room for growth. If you were coming into the sport now, would you say that it's matching tier for tier that level of energy that you saw in the action sports like snowboard, BMX, all that stuff? Definitely not. Definitely not. So I would still not say that it's really improved that much. I really okay. Yeah, I you know, and this is just this is purely a, a subjective and a preference type of thing. Like the like I said, the th the thing that I want to see is is like a very emotive, passionate, um, yeah, type of type of content. Where it's like I watch that and it's just like I know exactly what that person, the emotion that they were trying to make me feel, and like I just want to close my laptop, jump out of my seat and go do an activity right now. Cause mm -hmm. like, I'm so fired up yeah, uh, because of the, the energy that that, you know, snowboard film has given me. Yeah. And yes, I think as a result of what, you know, the ball that I started rolling in triathlon with doing vlogs that I, you know, like they were terrible to begin with, but like, ultimately I felt like we're a cinematic take on a vlog. I don't think anybody, not many people have followed in that style or built on it or, or grown, you know, to 
the space that you see what when Brandon Semenuk in mountain biking puts out a film or Sherpa's cinemas with, you know, ski films and stuff. These like beautiful pieces that, that really mean something. It's like people are identifying YouTube as like a, just another Instagram where I needed to like say, here's a status update yeah. of what I'm doing. I'm doing, here's the work that I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And here's, you know, it's like very informational. And I think it's a golden age in triathlon for people who are super curious about what pro athletes do. Sure. But it's not, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not like beautifully shot and thought through and, you know, it's like, what's the point? What's the meaning? Mm. You seem to have a little bit of passion behind this topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 very exciting to see that, that more and more people are, are doing it. Um, sure. But I, I do believe that with anything in life and whether it's um, learning photography or starting a YouTube channel or a podcast or anything, like have a reason. And the reason cannot be, in my opinion because like sponsors want me to, or because I hear it's valuable or whatever. Like, and maybe if that is like the ultimate impotence, like, okay, but what do I have that is unique that I can say, or that I can do that to add something to this space besides just like, Oh, I think people want to see me, my exact replica version of what I already see out there. You know, like I really appreciate the actual creative process versus just like documentation and, um, yeah. Yeah. If I may put someone on the spot and just because I'm curious of your opinion, um, I've obviously watched a lot of detail stuff. So I, I have an idea, I think, of what it is that you're shooting for because it's mm-hmm. it's apparent in what you're doing. What do you think of someone like Daniel Backegaard and the stuff that he's making? I think his uh, cinematographer is is very good. Daniel's paying him a lot of money. Um, and I don't know what their creative process is, but um, he's definitely on the list of shows that I like from a, uh, from a visual standpoint. Yeah. Um, I don't like particularly care too much what Daniel is like, has to say, or, you know, about like what he's doing with his racing, but I really appreciate that they are putting a very creative, you know, spin on, on, you know, I, I have, I've seen like a couple of videos and I've seen one where he just sits down and talks to the camera and then, but I've seen one where his guy like fully flexed and yeah. beautiful video showing off the location that they were at, you know, and, yeah. and, and I, I really appreciate that. Like, I want to feel the whole story. I want to feel like I am in Peru, yeah. you know, for this thing. I'm not personally just trying to find out what the dynamics of the race were to apply to, you know, my next workout or something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, thanks for sharing. Um, so the emotional aspect, like really means a lot to you. Um, this is going to be kind of a stupid question, I guess, but why? Um, I don't know. Cause I'm not just, I'm not just trying to feel, fill time. My, you know, like when I'm clicking on something or want, watching something, it's like, yes, there's stuff that I watch to learn things. And I usually, when I want to learn something, it's got to do with honing my personal craft, which is videography and, I trust uh, the growth of my athletic career to my coach. He's fully invested his entire life into that. So for the most part, I'm not like uh, out searching for what other people are doing for training. Um, mm-hmm. If it walks into my lap and I'm like, I'm curious, I'll find out more. But sure. um, I want to like, I want to watch stuff that like that makes me feel some way. And like my favorite video, like my favorite movies, I like get choked up at the end of and, and like, it's just, you, you can totally 
like the the script and the the story arc and and the emotions that you feel through it are are so powerful and that mm. to me feels good like i want to feel stuff i don't just kind of want to be a robot and yeah know, everything's fine yeah yeah good answer um what is your favorite movie then i'm curious <laughs> or one of them uh <clears throat> I, i'll like probably i'll just say drive okay um like I've got, I've got quite a few favorite movies, but that is probably a movie that not that many people have watched that I think is just absolutely fantastic for, you know, from a lighting perspective, from a cinematography perspective, from an emotional arc, yeah. everything, the ending's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I can't recommend that one enough. Yeah. Have to check it out. That's the one with Ryan Gosling. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It, I don't have, I've actually never even seen a, a, a preview for it, but it kind of, is it terrible to say that it gives me like a, almost a, not in the same kind of a movie, but um, Blade Runner 2049 with the light situation? I might be wrong, but Blade Runner 2049 feels like the same exact team did it that did Drive. Okay, that's what I was going to say, because I haven't seen yeah. it, but just the mood that it sets from mm -hmm. what little I have seen. And I have seen Blade Runner. so I'm not yeah. totally sure, but if I had to put money on it, I'd say it was the same team. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, so have you seen the movie Jobs? with um what is it called it's about steve jobs and i know everybody kind of overhypes it you should check it out talking about emotional i watch that movie probably three times a year because it gives me a certain i mean i think as i can relate to it in some ways but it gives me just like this feeling like i gotta get up and do it <laughs> that's the best yeah that's the absolute best yeah yeah super sweet movie um so what preceded transition four and then i guess what is exactly transition four for those who may not know? <laughs> uh transition four has changed a little bit over time and um sure i'm not actively working on it at the moment and kind of letting time reveal to me what it should be ultimately but sure uh at its inception i thought of transition four as a content creation collective uh it was four people um uh myself chris ganter the wartels or heather and trevor wartell and matt McElroy. And the idea was like, hey, we are four people who have like a lot of passion for multi-sport and for uh, all the same things that I've talked about, like great movies, great film and everything, and a little yeah. bit of a capacity to um, to create. And this is like, nobody knew what YouTube was at yeah. this point in time. This was 2014 or 15. And, um, and, and we kind of, we try to make go of it with like, Dortels were making a couple of videos here and there about what they were doing. And, you know, Trevor had his race recaps, which are still the best race recaps that have ever been made in triathlon. And I was trying to make more ski film type stuff and learn, and I was really not good yet. But that was the idea of like, hey, if we kind of pull our resources and make a website where videos of this certain style can live, then like maybe that could be enough momentum of our, you know, collective parts together to, um, you know, like get some budget to like do more content creation yeah. or, you know, whatever. We're just going to see where it goes, but that's the idea. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't, it didn't really work. Um, I put in an, an insane amount of time into it and it, it kind of sort of fell apart because people like, like YouTube Commitment. was not proven. Video yeah. was not proven yet. So the motivation to like grind away at creating videos when it's so much work alongside being tr tired from training, it just, you know, like I was trying really hard and everybody else was 
kind of trying a little bit and yeah. like I'm, I don't fault anybody for that, but it was just to like maybe a little bit too early. Yeah. Versus, uh, you know, I kept making my own YouTube videos and I would put out one every whatever, four months or five months or something around something that I felt was, uh, noteworthy and that as I had time to actually film something and it was just kind of like bubbling away not really doing that much and it wasn't until Paula came along and we sort of you know she came into the conversation and YouTube was maturing people didn't think it was just for cat videos that it (laughs) that it finally started to go somewhere but yeah transition for like in my mind now is just my content creation company entity yeah. i i have like let that llc lapse i'm not doing anything with it but in my mind and spiritually it is. is that when i like set out to make my best stuff i am transitioned for making a video for that triathlon life and whenever that triathlon life kind of like uh i don't want to say runs its course but whenever um maybe i bring on more people and i don't have to be the ceo and the cfo and the everything of it all at the same time sure. and i can make pieces for other companies or just passion projects i might brand that as transition for rather than ttl films but but we'll see yeah do you feel like since the time you've started this and to where you are now that it has taken a trajectory that you even in a little bit expected or shot for yeah for sure um i say it's gone faster than i thought that it would uh, the TTL took off extremely quickly, um, thanks to Paula and thanks to to Ralph Dunning who helped us out, which is with the look and like kind of gave me a lot of confidence in that what I was doing with video and creating a community brand, you know, was was something you know had legs, um, and just having the extra time of COVID to work on that and really hone my craft by doing a video every single week for two years. It's a lot of work. Um, yeah. It, it, like. It's an insane amount of work. It's an insane amount of work. I have something like 180 videos on YouTube that are around 20 minutes in length each. It's it's mind-blowing. And each one of those took me 15, we'll say on average 15 hours, you know, to create. Um, so it's, I don't, I'm not really sure where, where we were going with that, but... I love it. Just the genesis, where <laughs> you're going, is, the direction. It yeah. is exactly, yeah, now I remember. It is exactly where I wanted to go. And and I have this conversation with Nick frequently of like, okay, if everything fell, you know, if you just couldn't be a triathlete and do what you're doing right now, what would you really want to do? Like, well, yeah. I would want to do exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I love building this little community and company and trying to, you know, assert what I think triathlon media should look like into the space and... It, like the whole it's it goes back to like building that wagon into a covered wagon or whatever back as a kid it's like i am building yeah. just one big cool super awesome thing that is never going to be finished and has so many different caveats like we could go into races and events and hmm. collaboration products with other companies and you know just like so many different directions that we can go in and yeah and i still just i just think it would be so badass to like build this company that's kind of like the bones brigade of skateboarding that just like changed the sport and everybody goes like like there's so much in our sport now that is the way that it is because of how that triathlon life operated yeah i feel like you're well on your way but i'd like to meet you got that smirk like yeah i don't know maybe not (laughs) who knows who knows time will tell but uh 
trying and I'm very fulfilled, you know, working on it. Yeah, sure. And I feel like people have to be coming to you from inside the space who are more on your level and like seeking advice. Is that incorrect assumption? Um, a bit. I don't, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I haven't, you know, like made my, made it obvious that I'm interested in like being a contractor and term, you know, consultant on sure. brand building or whatever, but I think it's pretty evident and I, you know, I don't want to come across as cocky with this or anything, or maybe we're just quick movers, but like there's like how many YouTube channels there are now professional triathletes doing YouTube channels. Yeah. It's huge. Like, I, I was on YouTube first I'll, I'll claim that and i think yeah. lionel really just like took you know lionel and talbot talbot just hustled so hard and like took the kindling that may have been there that i was like kind of trying to catch on fire and just like yeah. threw gasoline on it um but we i i think what we've done with youtube is, is had a lot of impact on what is the expectation of pro triathletes and what people want to do and now we're doing a podcast and yeah. Um, you know, I've seen plenty of people try to start up little apparel merchandise lines and stuff. So and podcasts, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to pretend that we had the first triathlon podcast, but, um, I, I, I do think people look at what we're doing and go, well, they're, they're, they've made a lot of good moves in the past. Should we consider that? You know? Yeah. 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 That feels good. Do you ever feel like you're getting too egotistical on your own head? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, cheek. I don't, I don't think so. Like, yeah. Um, I, I guess I occasionally you just like got to check yourself and, and realize, like, like I said, it's, it's not like I invented YouTube and it's like, yeah. I, I saw it and I was one, the, one of the first people there. Um, yeah. but it's not, it's, it's not like a revolutionary concept, right. you know, to have a podcast. It's just, yeah. did we go mm, screw it? We'll, we'll, we'll dedicate an extra three hours a week to seeing if this goes somewhere. And we were the guinea pigs and yeah. gave it a proof of concept for pro triathletes. Sure. But yeah, there's still, I, there still aren't a bunch of pro triathletes that have, you know, podcasts yeah. like Skipper and yeah. he may have even had his before us. I don't even know. So yeah, yeah. And it's totally different. That's, that's the thing. It's like, um, like I said, just like have a reason and to, to exist yeah. and, and like have a thing that makes you, you and bring something new to the space. And like, I'm. I'm all about, I'm all about that. So yeah. I think there's plenty of room for more podcasts and different personalities and different YouTube videos that aren't the thing. The only thing that bums me out is when it's like, I'm going to a race now to make like our race recap video. And I like can't get to the freaking, you know, <laughs> like the start line to film Paula because there's so many people with my exact camera, my exact microphone hanging over because they're making you know, there's like 14 different video guys making videos for everybody and they're all going to be exactly. So I dove into the water and then I was feeling, you know, this way and the other thing. And, the, and it's like, <laughs> there's a the formula. I don't know. I'm like, okay, I, what are we going to do to pivot? Because that, that is now boring to me. Yeah. You got to set a new trend. Do you, is there something you're thinking about that you dare say out loud that you're thinking maybe like is the next Avenue direction? Mm. Postcards. <laughs> well, I mean, like the podcast is, is super nice because I yeah. think, uh, way more than a YouTube video, um, it gives you a lot of chance to like have an actual conversation. So Nick is really right. good at, at, you know, bringing out some things that we wouldn't just necessarily think of when we're monologuing and the yeah. timeline is, is a lot better. You know, yeah. a 20 minute race recap to me is like, could be fair, considered fairly short on a podcast, yeah, but sure. a 20 minute YouTube video of you just talking to the camera, I personally 
and putting that on like 3x speed and trying to get through it as quickly as possible slash i don't even click on it wow Um, unless i know the person is gonna show me something cool like if if you're gonna do the whole like here's what video is video is like this beautiful mesh of music that sets a tone and what the actual story that you're telling with your words and the visuals that go along with it if if it's you sitting down talking to a camera that's a podcast yeah you know just like just do a podcast i I think probably more triathletes should just like do a podcast and forget the video element because i you know i don't think that's what video is the, the purpose of video is to like satisfy all of the senses do you feel like it cheapens what you're doing uh, I, I bounce back and forth between feeling that and being frustrated about it and then just realizing that it doesn't matter. The only thing that I would say is maybe different now is that like our videos just get less views because I think people still have a finite amount of time. Yeah. And if they're just like going to get a triathlon fix on the internet, you know, it's like we're not the only option anymore. And yeah. it's not just us and Lionel anymore. There's 10 different videos going to show up and they people want to yeah. watch you know, and they've only got so much time and is our video even going to get suggested and what pro triathletes do in training is no longer even remotely mystical or interesting. It's like, we know, we know. Day in the life, day in the month, (laughs) Um, day in the hour. (laughs) Exactly. Unless you're just like this year where, you know, you come up with something like lactate testing. Everybody's really interested in lactate testing there for a year. And those videos got a lot of views and now it's like, "Mm, we know what that is. Yeah. So, um, things I want to do moving forward would be to create some actual, like, I don't want to say feature length, but like mid length, 35 minute films. So I'm kind of hitting up some sponsors about like, I want to tell this story, these three stories, and they're all kind of similar where I'm going to go to a location like overland triathlon style that captures my imagination and, and try to make something truly beautiful that inspires people to get outside. Um, And then alongside of that, we'll have things like of Paula racing and then some stuff of me racing, obviously, and preparation for certain races. But the need to have like a – Nick fights me on this, but the need to have like a race recap video about a PTO race is is almost not there. Because they already do it or what? Yeah, like they've got their pre-race hype. They've got their, you know, videos got that are like formula. long form. They've got like reels. They've got live coverage. They've got highlights that go up within an hour and a half. Like they've got all the things. So it's no longer like, man, I got to go watch Lionel's video. Cause like, I literally have no idea what happened in 70.3 Lima yeah, or whatever. And Nick's all, contention is always like, well, I'm such an, I'm so obsessed with the sport. Like I want to watch Lionel's recap about it. And I want to watch your recap about it. And I want to watch Daniel Backgard. And I want to just get like yeah. every possible permutation of this story and find out, <laughs> you know, just cause like I, I just, I'm so obsessed and like, yeah. and I, I get that and I understand that. But for me as, as a creative of, I've made five videos about 70.3 Oceanside. I've made four videos about 70.3 St. George. I, I have shown the coolest coffee shops and restaurants and what you should do in each of those locations i've said exactly what the course is like paula said what the course is like and you know is there a way that we can tell some new story that hasn't been told before about prepping for it or whatever you know to sort of truly get me excited to uh but but the amount of time we put into the the videos not to be on nick's side too much too but i think that one other aspect of that not necessarily only a race recap but 
I feel like, for example, when you win something or you're up there and the camera's in your face, oh, Eric, how did it go? Talk us through the last 20 seconds as if you can think straight and all this. You know, you're going you're gonna to kind of give this same story that everybody else gives. But then, like, when you come back home and you talk to Nick or you talk to Paula, the way that you kind of let your guard down to be like, yeah, so this is how it actually happened and yeah. there's no pressure from outside. Like, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and you can be upset about it too. Like you can even be frustrated and be like, "Yeah, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it." And I guarantee people would dig it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I like to think that I give pretty real race recaps. But uh, what you're getting at is is for sure the thing that I mean, people are looking for real, yeah, stuff. You know, um, and yeah, you, you could say you could say authentic, but I think it's just it's real. It's like I can sense that this person does not have their guard up. That this person, I feel like I'm there having that conversation with them, and I think that is incredibly powerful. And a lot of people, myself included, when you can tell somebody puts on the interview face, Meh. and tune out, yeah, you know, whatever. I know what you're yeah. gonna say already. So I, I I agree. I think I think there's there's the potential for that, and there's always you know the need and the desire to tell your side of the story. Right. Because unfortunately, if you do do a 70.3 and you get whatever, fifth place, and it wasn't your day, but you know, whatever, like you weren't going to be on the broadcast. They're, yeah. they're showing off the two people who are going to win or, or whatever. And then yeah. one person who's supposed to come from behind on the bike. So it's, it's like very powerful from a storytelling your specific life story. Um, and that's just, that's just me sorting through how how racing fits into what I want to do in the sport yeah. and what we want to do with TTL in the sport. And is that the best use of time when everybody is doing that? Yeah. Or is the yeah, best use point. to make these emotive films and then host a really cool like camp experience yeah. in that location the following year? Something like yeah. that. You know? Um I I think I part of the part of the video and all the things is I identified I don't know when. I don't think I have it in me to be a world champion. I think I have like gotten an incredible amount of mileage out of my genetics and my personal abilities. But for me to make a life in this sport and have an impact on this sport, I think a blend of being an athlete and being a creator is how I'm going to get the most mileage and, and have the most impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I've, I have had a few other conversations and I feel like a few other guys maybe a girl or two have given that similar kind of sentiment, which I feel like would be a hard thing to kind of accept because I'm not an elite level athlete, but sitting in my house and, you know, when I first time I sat on a tri bike and I was like, I think I could become a pro with this. Mm -hmm. You know, you have these aspirations and you're shooting for that. And then when you come to a realization, like, Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make that happen. Like that's a bit of an identity shift. Um, was that hard for you to kind of, I don't know if you, I don't, I dare to even say accept that because you're still pretty darn competitive. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think I think my biggest goal when I got into the sport was to make it my career. Yeah. I um had plenty of people in my life being like, dude, go to college. That is you know, finish college. Um, this is ridiculous. And you know, the reason after reason. Mm-hmm. And I just I I just got, I got a chip on my shoulder with that. Like, no, yeah. this is what I want to do. I don't know what I'm going to do with college. Like, everybody does college. I don't want to be everybody. Uh, um, you know, I I've yeah. always kind of had that streak of whatever everybody's doing. Uh, I mean, I'm there's got to be something different. They're more yeah. interesting. 
everybody's riding up and down this road. I wonder what the one road over is like. Yeah. And that there's probably nobody there. And they probably don't. Maybe it's even better. You know, just like going, going past the end of this cul-de-sac. Yeah. And um, so, so that's, I guess, that's just going to be like a theme throughout my entire life of I, I, I wanted to prove people wrong and make my life as a professional athlete. And I don't think I, I can't remember ever really even being able to imagine that I would be a world champion or a Olympic champion. But man, I thought it'd be so cool to go to the Olympics and to be successfully a right. pro triathlete and not have a desk job. And so I think I accomplished that. Yeah. And I'm, it, and I wouldn't say that I have accomplished versus I'm in the process of accomplishing that. Yeah. And as I saw, you know, my, my teammates, uh, from the triathlon squad kind of be done with the Olympics and go on and get jobs and do other things that kind of solidified or, or continue to reinforce to me. Like, I don't just want to be done with triathlon yeah. when I'm tired and my, you know, I've done a lot of races and stuff and then just go learn to be a, an electrician. Um, like I want what I'm doing right now to mean something and, and feed into the next thing. And I want to build something that's bigger that no other people have done before. And that's what, what TTL is. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So I scrolled through your Instagram last night to try to find the bottom and it went all the way back to 2013, which incidentally, August 15, 2013. And I think it was a picture of the bridge mm. in Oregon. What bridge? St. John's? St. That would be appropriate. The big yeah. green bridge, I think so. But big it had green, the gothic looking bridge. Yeah, and it had the stereotypical twenty thirteen borders Square. for Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. Um, so since well, first of all, do you remember posting that? Mm, I don't, but I've taken a lot of pictures of that bridge yeah. in my life, and I do remember uh, pretty much every male that I knew at the time making fun of me for being on Instagram because it was for girls. Yeah. And now look, here we are. Look at where we are now. Make Amazing. fun of me for starting a podcast. Make I had, <laughs> I can distinctly remember, and I, I, I love Chris. Chris Corbin, when I uh, came to visit Heather and Wadi, the first time that I met Heather and Wadi, really, and I mm. tried, we, we came to a wine tasting here in Bend, and Chris Corbin was there, and, and Lindsay Corbin, and Heather and Wadi, and like these superstars of the sports that I looked up to yeah. so much. Yeah. And I just started doing YouTube. And... Um, I guess Paul, yeah, when Paul and I were together, and so maybe we'd put out our first TTL video. I'm not sure, or we just like I'd been doing a couple of YouTube videos, and he's like, "Dude, I wouldn't do video. That is such, <laughs> is such a time suck, man." Oh, we tried great. it, but like videos are like photos are so much better bang for your buck. And to his credit, he is completely right. Yeah, bang for your <laughs> buck, but for the it reason is, he did it, yeah. Like my ROI on how much time I've put into video is, I still TBD. But I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm still working on like a sub three dollars an hour net, you know, <laughs> rate for the amount of time I put into video versus how much yeah. money, even with sponsorships, that yeah. it has made us. But um, that was another thing. It's like, hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just since you said that, I think I will try a little extra hard. And uh, but yeah, made I feel fun like of I... doing Instagram because it was for girls. Got yeah. told not to do YouTube. Got told not to do pro triathlon. That's like yeah. kind of my mo, I guess. I feel, yeah, and I feel like with uh, the level of, I think, trust I have in your ability to see the future now, if you told me it, it was toothbrushes for triathletes or something, I'd, I'd be quite tempted to be like, you know what, maybe he's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to invest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So th since that first post, it's been 10, uh, I guess, yeah, 10 and a few months, years. 
How have you changed as a person in that time? Like thinking back of who Eric was then to who Eric is now, a ton has happened. What are some highlights you think? Oh, man. I, I would say the biggest thing that changed in, in me and what that was like probably the thing that's been most challenging it was like going from feeling like nobody thought I could be a pro triathlete in my mind, you know, just because my parents told me to go back to school and plenty of other people did to like I got sponsored by Red Bull and all of us, that was kind of like a big switch. Like I won escape from Alcatraz. I won the Beijing international triathlon. I made a bunch of money that year. I got sponsored by Red Bull, had a bunch of other sponsors come on board. And mm. it was like, man, I think I did it. You know, yeah. I like this classifies as my criteria for making a living in the sport. I yeah. can actually buy plane tickets mm. if I need them. And I got, I had to pay taxes you know, like the government still offered success. me food stamps, but I had to pay taxes <laughs> for the first time ever. Instead of just getting a big fat tax refund yeah, or just like not even like don't bother filing taxes child. Um, wow. and that was, that was kind of a shift where it's like, okay, now I, I think I've gotten the thing and now I'm here and, and now, now what defines success and now what is the new goal? And that mm. took, uh, that took a year or so to not just be like, okay, I guess I'm like trying to stay here. And I had, oh, I wow. went through this whole kind of my struggle with, I was essentially almost or like qualified for the Olympic team. I was, you know, it was like a real close toss up between me and Ben Canute. And then I got injured right before the final race. Mm -hmm. He beat me by 15 seconds or something. And that was a deciding factor. And I didn't become an Olympian. And, wow. and that process of like, okay, I think I've made it, but but that like extreme fire to prove everybody wrong was no longer going to be enough. And I had to figure out, okay, now what am I What's doing next? in this sport besides just like maintaining the status quo to keep that builder mindset truly satisfied? Yeah, that's heavy. Uh, did you, and it, I love sports. I love the Olympics and I love, and I'm sure you could even share the same feelings, like all of these things that kind of culminate, culminate around what the sport is and, but the fact that some people's identities personally viewed are crushed sometimes, especially if you're in the pool or something, by seven thousandths of a second. Someone, you know, the difference between third and fourth, no one remembering mm -hmm. your name or first and second. Is there, I'm kind of thinking out loud, but is there any way you think to like get around that or maybe to prepare athletes for when that happens so they can sit back and say, you know what, this isn't my identity. I can be something different. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, for me anyway, I, I don't know if I could like give a recommendation that would work for everybody, but for me, it's, it's realizing that what I really love is the self-improvement mm -hmm. process and okay. Like maybe, maybe you didn't win that race. You didn't qualify for the thing, but what do you really love? And is it the self-improvement process? Is it the act of getting ready to compete? you know, meeting people inside of the sport. What is it? What, what is it? And can you continue on with that? Yeah. And I don't know. It, it, it's, it's tough because there's, I think there are, I've seen plenty of people and I know that there are people that it's like, if I'm not winning, I'm incredibly unhappy. Yeah. And, um, I think I've been fortunate enough that I didn't start 
winning, you know, I, I didn't yeah. win my first triathlon or my second or my third or my fourth, um, or I won in my first year even. Uh, so I fell in love with trying to get better rather than yeah. fell in love with the, you know, external thumbs up yeah. from winning things. Yeah. Internally, internal motivation, it sounds like, well, let me ask this, I guess, did you kind of make a shift at some point, like after you realized, okay, it's not just going to come that easy, like that's when you kind of turned on that self-improvement process where you're the builder's mindset, or is that something you think that you had instilled in you from even a younger time? Yeah, I think I was, my parents just yeah, they nailed got it. that into me and I just wasn't the best yeah. at things. Like I was the best in my cul-de-sac at sporty things, but you know, that's a sure. tiny little pond and I pretty quickly got into sports and wasn't the best at soccer, wasn't the best at swimming, but I really yeah. liked it. And, and I never really had that sensation of like, I am talented. Yeah. You know, there seemed like there were plenty of other people who had it, were just like figuring it out way quicker than me, but I yeah. definitely felt like I don't give up ever on, on something. And I'm totally happy to like, you know, if you've seen Jiro dreams of sushi, this like I have not Mon oh dude watch that dreams everybody of sushi. Jiro dreams of sushi on Netflix I hope it's still on Netflix life changing um but this I this concept of like simple task something that you know like yeah. somebody who bags groceries it's like how complicated it is it? just throw the bag throw the groceries in the bag but there are people who when they when they bag groceries they know it's this is exactly what goes on the bottom. This is exactly oh, yeah. what goes next. And I'm going to fit the maximum amount of things into this box. And when you pick it up, it's going to feel sturdy and the handles are not going to break and, mm. and it's going to stack right next to the other one so perfectly. And like, I've always had massive respect for people who take their jobs that seriously, especially when it's a job that people consider to be boring. And I've yeah. wanted that to be me and have like, I think really truly made that me of like, here, here's a thing that is difficult and complicated and not exciting or whatever. And I'm just going to, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. I hate failing at uh, something that I set out to figure out. Mm. Is there anything recently that you failed at that you have been trying to figure out? Um, nothing large scale. No, like there, there is a, like occasionally I'll, I just cannot make a video work. Yeah. Right. Like, I usually end up figuring out some way, but I, maybe I'm not super happy with it, but I'm missing a shot that like ties these two scenes together, or mm. I just can't figure out how to wrap the thing up or something like that, but I have to put it out on Sunday. Like stuff, stuff like it. I'm trying to think of something else, but I had a conversation with Paula just the other day. It's, it's like dumb things, you know, like fitting all the leaves in the, in the leaf basket. <laughs> <laughs> We've it's, all been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. I don't know. If, if you know, you know. You're like the type of person who's going to break every single one of their fingers to carry all the groceries in on one yeah. trip. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there's so many things I could go into that. But in the in the um, respect for your time, I, I wanted to move on to a couple other different types of questions. And if at any time you're like, hey, I got to cut it, let me know. All right. So how did you meet Paula? Like, tell me, was it like you saw her? There she was. <laughs> My life has changed. Ah, or... Was it a subtle thing? Did she come up to you? What was the story there? Uh, no, she definitely didn't come up to me. I can start from the back <laughs> with, <Yeah>. that, <laughs> with that question I pursued. Um, but, the, I mean, I, I had known of her for quite a while. I had watched her, you know, live winning the World Cup's World Championship Series mm -hmm. races that she won uh, back in her first 
heyday, I guess yeah. you could call it that. Yeah. Um, I was in like my first year being pro and um, huge, huge fan of the sport. So I watched all those. So I was aware. And then we were both aware of each other on the ITU race circuit, but never really chatted or anything. And then I don't, I don't know why we, we went to the, both went to the Beijing international triathlon in 2017. And I distinctly remember like sitting on the bus because you, cause you have to like take these bus trips to go like see the golden Buddha and they t- video you <laughs> while you do it. And then another crew has to like take the bus to go, you know, to the see hidden them. temple. And like, it, it's truly like a, a video that, uh, that they're making to like, as a, advertisement you, China. Yeah. piece to the Fengtai district of China is funding okay. the whole thing. Uh, and I, and I can remember sitting on this bus and, um, she was wearing cut off jean shorts and something else. I don't know. I just remember the jean shorts and thinking <laughs> D- Paula Finley is really attractive. Did I, I don't know why I'm just re realizing this or something. And I, I had had a girlfriend for a couple years prior to that. So I was not like I was pursuing anything sure. or just like on the market, but uh, so I was actually incredibly sick with water, bad water poisoning from the World Cup that I'd come from tough, in tough, tough. Czech Republic prior to this. Ugh. So I wasn't able to like do that much schmoozing, but I started, you know, I messaged her on, slid into the DMs on Instagram messenger in between just like saying hi at the, on the bus. And yeah. over the course of the next few months, we just kind of talked more and more and started FaceTiming and stuff and, uh then our first date, I got a plane ticket to Calgary and we spent three days together and it was like full hail, full hail Mary could have gone terribly. Yeah. Wow. Were you like, Hey, can I come to Calgary or Hey, I'm coming to Calgary. Yeah. I think it was more like that. I was like, I want to come visit you. One's good. Oh and yeah, dude. Had, that's a bold move. <laughs> it was pretty bold. And I was, you know, I definitely a little freaked out about it, but glad I did it. Yeah. Was there any like awkward moments in the beginning? I assume she was with her family at that point. Uh, no, actually, they have a cabin in Canmore. So her family lives in Edmonton, and I flew to Calgary, and she picked me up, and then we went to the cabin in Canmore, and basically went on hikes and yeah. got some coffees, and I met her sister, and it was like a very intense. Yeah, here's three my days. family. Where's Make the dowry? <laughs> yeah, like let's uh, we're gonna find out real quick if yeah. this is a go or no go. Yeah, for sure. So then you start dating, and I, you've been dating for, or you dated for a long time. I guess now you're engaged, but yeah, yeah, five, uh, five we, years. yeah, five years. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I've I've known for a while that I wanted to propose, but it, uh, just being being an artistic, creative person, I had like kind of high expectations for it and how I wanted it to be and the storyline, you know, like the whole thing, and it was very challenging because we spend so much time together and yeah. the type of place that I wanted to make it happen to make that happen uh you know kind of necessitated us at doing an activity doing an exercise which is our job so I was essentially going to be proposing in the workplace and like <laughs> with all the emotions that might go along with how good a workout is going or whatever yeah. and BL2 session so. right after so yeah anyway that's my little roundabout way of saying uh it took me a long time but yeah. good, the best things come with time yeah, for sure. Um, I know that you like want to keep some of that stuff kind of in wraps because so much of your life is on video and podcast mm-hmm. and things like that. But do you have a projected date? Are you allowed to say like when? No, no. Uh, but we could do it tomorrow. 
I'd be totally happy. There's not, we're not like trying to put it off or anything. It'll just come down to like, when is there going to be an opening at a venue that we like? And yeah, I think we're definitely on the sooner rather than, than later plan. I was, yeah. In my mind is like, when I propose, like we could get married tomorrow. It's, I don't feel like I need to like see how this engagement process goes. So, um, no, no date in mind, but yeah. Well, congratulations. That's, that's exciting. That's really Thanks man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Paula, professional world stage, Eric, professional world stage. Then you have TTL in the mix and there's a lot of things you guys are doing together. Um, and it seems like it would be a challenge in a good way, but to make a relationship work with two type A individuals, let alone everything else that you kind of go going on. And I wouldn't say you're both necessarily type A, but how has that been a challenge or not a challenge? Like how have you navigated through that? Um, I think, um, I'm very, a very go with the flow person. Yeah. So like an example, when, when we lived with my sister, my sister was, you know, fresher out of college than we were and just had like a slightly different, well, Paula's level of cleanliness is like her dad's a neurosurgeon and my sister's level of cleanliness is like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a young person and I got a lot of stuff that I'm doing that's fun, you know, like, and I'll get around to, to cleaning that thing up when I'm, when I'm not busy. And I'm like very much in the middle of like, yeah, I appreciate cleanliness and I don't want to like, you know, be dirty, but also, man, we got a really fun thing. I'm like, we should do that fun thing and then we can clean. And Paula's like, I can't leave the house unless it is really, really nice. So then when we come back from the thing, you know, so I was like, I could have lived with either of them just fine like i could have could go and been with my sister and lived in that situation i could live with paula and obviously i can live with paula um yeah. but i feel like i'm i'm pretty flexible and i i'm i have uh, i feel like i do an okay job of like is this the hill i want to die on is this the thing that matters no and 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 going with the flow yeah um but it's it's like that that's all I can think of because otherwise like, when I when I think about it critically it's like how should yeah. this possibly work? Yeah, the amount of time that we spend together and the amount of stuff that we do together yeah. is is ridiculous. But I I think we do a pretty good job of taking on roles and roles yeah. that are complementary. So yeah, I handle one hundred percent of the video stuff and I show it to Paula when it's ninety nine percent done and she yeah. says awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make me look bad or you know whatever or. <laughs> Sometimes if I just can't find music, yeah. she'll like help me find music because she has really great music taste. And yeah. I just give her the link to the website where I get the music. Um, but then she does a, a fantastic job with the customer service of TTL, you know, and I just fully trust that she's got it under control and she fully trusts that I've got the video stuff under control. Um, so like there's a little bit of separation there and we're not just all day long having yeah. to do every single thing on yeah. that together. Um, and then... Like we obviously do a lot of training together, but as we've, uh, as our relationship has matured and as I'm doing more off-road stuff, we're doing less training than yeah. we did at one point. And I think that's ultimately net good because yeah. <clears throat> when we're leaving the house, of course, it's like, oh, I want to go for a bike ride with you. You're my favorite person. Uh, bike riding is my favorite thing. We both yeah. have a bike ride to do. And then in the middle of it, it's like somebody's having a good day. Somebody's having a bad day. I wanted to yeah. go left. She wanted to go right. So not having that be every single session and some days just going, we're going to run different directions on this run and just you do your thing. I'll do yeah, my come thing. Back around. We'll talk about it later. 
Because yeah. um, it's, you know, like, there's not a lot of conversation. We can't just sit down at the dinner every night and be like, how was work today? Yeah. But having, guys- some, some, having some things that we do separately is yeah. good. Yeah, for sure. What is your favorite downtime activity that you go to do for just Eric? I don't really have any. I don't have downtime. Yeah, uh, that's a stupid <laughs> question. Uh, Welcome to Stupid Questions Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I guess if I had a thing that uh, would potentially be non-productive that I kind of enjoy doing, it's just like learning about cameras. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it still feels a little bit businessy because if I learn something or if I learn about a camera that I identify is like actually going to enhance my life in a meaningful way or like make things easier than... Yeah, so it's it still sort of fits into business. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't I don't have like a, a true hobby. A, a, yeah. a, unfortunately, or fortunately, my hobbies have become my what, what we make a living with. Yeah, is there any downside to that? You think? No, I, I mean I don't think so. Um, as long as it doesn't, as long as I don't feel like I I can't unwind. Yeah, you know. Um, I, I feel, I, I don't have, I don't have the sensation of like, I have a job that's so terrible that I need something to do to like, take my mind off of it and whatever. I, I feel very fulfilled by what I'm doing. And like, I just, my, the biggest struggle is that I want to work on it more all the time. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. torn between like, I need to go to bed to be a better athlete, or I want to stay up and finish this design for a shirt or ending to yeah. a video or find the perfect thing, you know? And, and that's, that's the struggle. Yeah, it consumes your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Do you in, ever have in trouble? In the best way. Yeah, in the best way. Do you ever have trouble sleeping because you're just like, like you're saying, oh, man, I got to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Of course. No. Yeah, all the time. Of course. That's, um, I, I would say, one of the biggest things, differences that I've made in the last year, uh, both for Paula and my relationship and just for um, longevity, is is I don't work past like 6 p.m. now. Yeah, just I so used to have that. I used to just, as soon as we were done eating dinner, I would go up and I'd get on my laptop and I'd be editing the video. And, and so as a result, um, I'm only doing videos like once every two or three weeks now instead of every single weekend. But I do think that's raising the quality and the thoughtfulness of the videos and it's making me happy. Um, but I can sleep. Yeah, for sure. A couple more questions. What makes you happy? What makes me happy? Um, yeah, personal growth, building yeah. something. Yeah. You know, whether it's a van or it's the company, um, I love being like, there was a thing that was in my mind that didn't exist, and here it is. It's a real yeah. thing now. That yeah. is the absolute best feeling. Yeah, I created this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Your van that you first, because that's how I think I first started watching you guys on, or saw you on YouTube, is when you guys were traveling around during in the van. Mm-hmm. That was pre-COVID. I'm pretty sure it wasn't because of COVID, right? You were doing, you were like kind of living in a van a lot of the time for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've had vans for a long time. Uh, and COVID definitely allowed us to do way more adventuring, um, than normal because there were no races. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the van, the last van that we had, that we had during COVID was my fourth van vehicle. Yeah. Had an RV had a Chevy van, had a Mitsubishi Delica right-hand drive van, and uh, then we got a Sprinter, yeah. finally, uh, just because there were two of us. Yeah. Two people do not fit in a Mitsubishi Delica van, if you yeah. want to Google that. Two people in bikes, 
not fitting. Uh, but sprinter spinners have been fantastic. I'm looking up the Delica real quick because I'm just curious. Because did were you it, doing YouTube when you were in that van? Mm, I I was making some YouTube videos, but not not weekly. It's okay. uh, what was it a 1987? Yeah, it's old. It's Delica, the boxy ones. Yeah, it's not a pretty car in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was badass. Four wheel yeah. drive. It was a it's a truck with a van body on it. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, here we go. The eighty version. Oh, that's yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, if you're into it, you're into it. If you're not, yeah, then, yeah, then that's fine. Yeah. Um. So then you, yeah, I was just kind of reminiscing. It was when you got into the Mitsubishi. I think you had just gotten the with the Mitsubishi Sprinter when I think uh, I first came in contact with you because my buddy mm. got me into triathlon, my cousin, and he was like. He bought one of your very first ever hats, so that's how I was introduced to the like, TPL. Oh, it's like, sweet. Uh, it's like one of the the floppy uh, visor and stuff like that. He still has it. The thing is like raggedy to the nice. stitch. But yeah, it's pretty sweet. Nice. Um, cool, man. Well, I've got just one more question, um, and it was supposed to be a stupid question. It's kind of stupid. What was your favorite video game as a kid? Because you mentioned the Game Boy Color. Mm. Was it on that? Man, it would be hard to to pick a favorite because, I mean, I was I got so obsessed about whichever video game I was into at the time. That's just yeah. like I said, I have a very obsessive personality, and that's like a, a special power of yeah. being able to work on a video and not let go of it until it's done, and and you know do what I've done with yeah being a triathlete and the thing at the same time. But favorite, I'll just I'll like throw out I guess like maybe three favorite games. Okay, I was. Uh, Super into the whole Spyro, the Magic oh, Dragon yeah. series on the so original fun. PS1. Yeah. That was like, nice. Yeah, very fun, a little bit problem solving, you know, like challenging, but not too too intellectual. I never got into role-playing yeah. games like Final yeah. Fantasy. Yeah. Uh, then Medal of Honor, Allied Assault. Mm. For the first time you could like play a video game against other people on the internet through your computer. Yeah. Freaking magical change life yeah amazing and then i definitely went through a phase of age of empires oh yeah man played that with my dad and my sister like across the internet network in our house the land network oh yeah so Mm. cool good times yeah we so i recently got an ad that age of empires somebody i guess made some kind of an emulator or something and it's on the phone and i tried it out and it, they had some of the original sounds and everything. It brought back so many memories. It's such a fun little game because it, it goes back to, I think, what you really love doing. It's that create and build type of a thing. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Cool. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, just to let me ask some questions about your life and yeah. a little bit different of a format and hear what you got going on. Um, is there actually one more thing? Is there anything that you're working on right now that you're just absolutely stoked about that you can't wait for it to come out? Uh, I guess, I guess the thing that fits most into that category is the bike build video. I, I filmed it three months ago. It's uh, of a new tarmac, specialized oh, tarmac. And, um, I should, I should be putting it out in the next couple of weeks. I don't really have any reason not to finish it except for like, when am I going to release it that makes sense? And with what we've had going on, it's just been like race, 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 race. And you just like drop a bike build video randomly, yeah. but it took me quite a while to film it. And, um, my thing with bike videos is we've been making bike videos for a little while, bike build videos. Yeah. And, and it seems to have just time. like fully jumped the shark now where like everybody's doing it. Like every day I open Instagram, it's like 
you know, yeah. like SRAM, Canyon, Legion, everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, let's just like make a really noisy in a beautifully lit bike shop situation. And so, yeah. of course, just, just like blogs. I'm like, okay, boring. I've like been there, done that. What's the next thing that I can do that's different and interesting? Yeah. So we built my tarmac in the middle of a lava flow um, in Sun River, Oregon. And then I, uh, I rode it around. So that's what we did. When is that dropping? I guess you haven't decided. Soon. It's like 80, 80% edited. All the so way shot. Nick but it's, making it's, some music? Uh, no, actually. I found an Listen. incredibly epic song back when I, okay. when I filmed it that actually does not that's necessitate that. Nick to make music. But next year, Nick, yeah. Nick and I are dreaming up some projects where we're going to like, for those film projects that I said, they're like 35, 40 minutes in length about a specific adventure or something. Nick will be coming along on those. And the, the purpose is for him to compose, a get inspired, compose original music, yeah. release an EP alongside the film like top to bottom full creative process so that's awesome i'm really happy and excited for you that like you are in a place now where because obviously i don't think you could have done this in the past and now you have a little bit more leverage to raise money maybe this one you don't need money for but to raise money and make these kind of projects happen Mm -hmm. it's pretty sweet to witness it'll be fun to see what when it gets dropped if it's out before this this episode will actually be airing in february Second, so when it comes out, if that video is out, shoot it to me and we'll link it in the show notes. It'll be long out. It'll be long out by then. There might be a couple other bike build videos before then. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much uh, again for coming on. It's been super fun. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks, man. Huge shout out again. Thank you so much to Eric Lagerstrom for coming on and giving a little bit of an insight into who he is as a person, uh, where he's been in life, where he's going. Um, really need to hear some of those stories, especially how he met and noticed Paula for the first time uh, over in China for that. I think it was the Beijing. Uh, was it Beijing? Can't remember, but wherever he met her. Neat story. If you made it to this point in the podcast, just want to say thank you so much for listening and tuning in. If you're on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe. Turn on the notification bell so you can hear when these episodes are airing. Um, really helps to grow our channel and get through the algorithm. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those, um, please give us a follow and also review the podcast. It really does help us to grow. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that at in the show notes. And also, last thing, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can do so on the stupidquestions.show website. Scroll all the way to the bottom or at the contact tab um, and you can get subscribed. Thank you guys so much and we'll catch you in the next one.